listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It's in between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel, if that gives you a little help. If you've found the book of Psalms, you're a little too far. You need to go back a little bit toward Genesis. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, we'll also have it on the, uh, the words on the screen behind me so that we can read this together as the people of God. This is the word of the Lord over us this morning. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside, and he sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city, and he said, Sit down here. And so they sat down. And then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I'd tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, then go ahead and redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. So the man said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance." Then the Redeemer said, Well, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated at this time. And I just want to welcome you here this morning uh, to the White Oak Faith family. If you don't know me, my name is James Yandel, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at this church. And I would love to have a chance to meet you after the service sometime. We'd love to invite you to our Thanksgiving meal right after the service, and I'd love to meet you there. But this morning, uh, I hope the message that is preached will help you to find God and to follow Him wherever you're at in life. This morning, we are talking about and continuing on a story in the book of Ruth. And uh, I just want to recap the story a little bit. Uh, You may not be familiar with everything. I just want to refresh your mind as to some of the main characters in the story. First, we have Naomi. And Naomi is this Israelite widow. And she had a husband at one point, and they went off to a distant land because there was a famine in their own land, and they had sons, and the sons married. But over time, Naomi's husband passed away. And the sons also passed away. And so she was left with two daughters-in-law. And one of the daughters-in-law goes back to her hometown and leaves Naomi. But her other one stays with her. And that's where Ruth comes into the picture. Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law. And she's a Moabite widow, but she has this amazing faith in God. She's the one who utters the most iconic phrase here in this story, where she says, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So she's this young Moabite woman who, who has amazing faith in Israel's God. And then there's Boaz. I like Boaz, and we're going to zero in on him this morning. Boaz is the old uh, Israelite 
bachelor, right? He's an old bachelor. He's an unmarried guy, but he's a God-fearing man. He's, he's someone who honors God. He's someone who's about redemption. And so in this story, he comes in as a type of redeemer. And so in the story, we find uh, Naomi and Ruth coming back to their homeland. And they're destitute. They're poor. They have pretty much nothing. And so they need help in order to survive in their time period. And that's where Boaz comes in. Boaz comes in and he helps them. He helps feed them. And, and in chapter 3, in the last chapter that we talked about, uh, Ruth basically goes in and does a very unconventional wedding proposal to Boaz, right? She's the young Moabite widow. Boaz is the older Israelite bachelor. And she essentially proposes to him in a very strange way, but he's kind of agreeable. And that's where we pick up our story today. Boaz has to take care of some things before he gets into it. So the this morning, I want to ask the question, why is this story in the Bible? Why is it in the Bible? All right, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I've entitled my message, Trust God and Get Things Done. Trust God and Get Things Done. Because this morning, as we look at characters in the Bible, we're going to find that the Bible is full of men and women who had faith in God, but who were also full of action and determination and pursuit. You see, faith always moves us into action. Abraham had to leave his homeland. Moses had to confront Pharaoh. Joshua had to march his armies against the enemies of Israel. Faith is not just about waiting. Faith is about living while we wait in the obedience of God. So this morning, this is what we're going to talk about, how as the people of God and as people of faith, we're still called to be people who make decisions, who take action, who pursue good things in our life and in the lives of the people around us. Because here's where most of us fall on one extreme or the other. Uh, Some people fall on this extreme. They say, you know what? God helps those who help themselves. Anyone heard of this phrase before? Pretty much everyone, I would imagine, has heard of this phrase before. God helps those who help themselves. I actually heard a, a statistic. There was a Christian research group who did a study on Americans, and they took a poll on the most popular verse in the Bible. And they said, God helps those who helps themselves was the most well-known verse in the Bible. And I find that pretty amazing. Does anyone know why I might find that amazing? Not in the Bible. There we go. So that's not in the Bible. In fact, 76% of American teenagers say that that phrase is the central theme of the Bible. We got some biblical literacy to do in the next generation, right? But, but there is some truth to it. I would call this kind of a half-truth, right? God does call us to work hard, and he calls us to pursue good things in our lives. And some of us fall on that side. We just don't include God in our plans. We don't pray about big decisions. We just go where we want to go. But then on the other hand, you have people who say, you know what, let's just pray. Let's just wait, and God will work it out for us. Right? And that sounds spiritual. It sounds like a good thing to do, and yet God calls us to act to move, to use the resources that we have to move forward into the good things of our life and to trust God with the outcome. So this morning, we're going to see in the story a man who trusted God, but who was also proactive in bringing about the good things that God desired for his life. So this morning, I got three questions for you. And uh, these are three questions that I want you to be able to answer by the time we're done with the sermon. And in fact, uh, this morning, as soon as you get the answer to one of these three questions, I give you permission to lean over to your neighbor and say, I got the answer to that question. I'm going to tell it to you right now. So that's the only time that you're allowed to talk in the sermon as soon as you get an answer to one of these questions. And question number one is, where is God in this story? 
I don't know about you, but we just read six verses, and I heard no mention of God. I don't see God doing anything. What's he doing in this story? So you're going to be able to answer that question. Number two, what makes Boaz an example to us in the faith? What makes him different? And especially, what makes him different in comparison to this new character we're going to learn about this morning, this other Redeemer? What makes Boaz good and this other Redeemer not someone that we should emulate? What's the difference between those two? And then number three, what can we learn from the story that will help us live our lives in obedience to God this week? So by the end of today, you should be able to answer those three questions. So the first question is, where is God in the story? Let me give you a hint. Anytime you're looking for God in a story in the Bible, or anytime you're looking for where God is moving in your life or in someone else's life, look for where redemption is happening. That's where God is. Because God is always working toward redemption. And we don't use that phrase a lot in our culture. We don't use the word redeem in our culture. You know why? Because we are Americans. We are free. We don't need to be bought back from anybody. We're not in bondage. We love our freedom. So we don't use the word redeem a lot, right? When we say redeem, we might say, you know what? I need to redeem the coupon I have, right? We use that in that context. Actually, this week as I was studying this, I was thinking about coupons. And I remember that I have Groupons that I have not used and they expired in 2013. Does anyone else have expired Groupons? I don't know. That always happens to me. Don't get me a Groupon for Christmas. I'm not going to use it, right? But this is how we use it in our context, right? Maybe for you, you're into backyard games, right? And you, you like to play uh, horseshoes or bags or cornhole, whatever it is. What do you get at the end of the game if you're losing? You get a redemption throw. You get at the very end, you get a chance to win it back. And so we use this idea of redemption. But in the Bible, we have to understand that the Bible has an understanding of redemption. And in fact, the Bible is all about redemption. And very simply, redemption means to buy back, to rescue, to deliver, to release from bondage. So this is where I want you to track with me for a second. If God is all about redemption, it's in his character, it's who he is then if the Bible is all about redemption from cover to cover, then anytime we zoom in on a particular story in the Bible, what's it going to be about? Redemption, right? Every story in the Bible more or less is about redemption. So for example, we have the redemption of Jesus as Jesus calls us out of sin, redeems us out of sin through his death and resurrection. And we're all a part of that story as we're trusting in Jesus. You have redemption of Israel from slavery, right? God is buying them out of slavery, bringing them out of bondage from Egypt and Assyria and the Babylonians and all that kind of stuff. And here we have a story of redemption where God rescues Ruth out of shame and out of poverty. So sometimes God works out redemption in very epic, fantastic, amazing ways, right? Think of Uh, Moses leading the people out of Egypt, and he's got all these plagues coming down on Pharaoh. That's an epic story of redemption. But God also works out redemption in the mundane, slice-of-life stories like Ruth. And if we're going to be good at picking out 
God's redemption in our own life and how he's working in our own life, we have to understand and we have to be able to pick out how God is working out redemption in stories like this. So I'm going to tell this story and I want you to be looking for the different ways in which God is orchestrating Ruth's story. So Ruth chapter 4 picks up where Ruth chapter 3 left off with this unusual proposal uh, by Ruth to Boaz. And in Ruth chapter 4, Boaz gets up and he wastes no time and he goes to the city gate. Right? We don't know how big the city was, but it probably was a big city at this time, right? And so he goes to the city gate and he hopes to catch the closer redeemer. And I'll talk about that here in a second. And I want you to notice something in the text. It says, Behold, the closer redeemer who Boaz had spoken of came by. And I preached on this before. Anytime you hear the word behold in the Bible, it tells you to look. That something's happening here. Something extraordinary. Something unusual is happening here. You might be able to translate this phrase. It just so happened that the closer Redeemer appeared. And we know that this is significant because in Ruth chapter 2, a similar phrase shows up when it says, Ruth just so happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. And so this implies that God is working behind the scenes. And I can imagine Boaz is here, right? He's got this restless anticipation, right? He's sitting at the gate. He knows that marriage may be in his future. He knows that redemption of Ruth may be in his future. And he's just sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden, just perhaps moments later, the closer redeemer, the man in the way, the thing in the way of this marriage appears out of nowhere, it just reminds me of when I met my wife and, and some of our early dating and courtship together. I look at all the things that happened and I realize, man, those were not coincidences, right? And we as Christians and followers of Jesus do not believe in coincidences. And in this story, the writer is trying to point out and say, hey, look, God's doing something here. Now, I want us to note something here before we go on. In your version of the Bible, Boaz says, turn aside, friend. And if you have a different version, it may, something, it may say something else, like maybe, I don't know, companion or stranger or something like that. But I guarantee you, it does not say the man's name. In fact, if you were to translate this from the Hebrew, uh, it might read, Mr. So-and-so. Literally, that's, that's kind of what it would be, Mr. So-and-so. So Boaz said, turn aside, Mr. So-and-so. And I want you to think about that. Why would this writer of this story, who clearly knows everybody, right? He knows Boaz. He knows Ruth. He knows Naomi. He even knows the name of Naomi's former husband and also the names of her sons. Why doesn't he list this guy's name? I want you to think about that. We're not going to answer that question now, but try to mull it over in the back of your head as we go on. All right, so in the following verses, basically Boaz goes and he calls all the leading men of the city. And he gathers them together. And they're about to enter into some legal business type proceedings, right? And so Boaz turns to the man and he says, Naomi, who is our relative, has come back from the land of Moab and she's selling a field. Basically, this other guy had the first right of refusal when it came to redeeming this field. So the Old Testament had this concept of kinsman redeemer, which we've talked about a little bit, but I want to explain that a little bit here this morning. So in the Old Testament, after a tragic loss in a family, or after something serious happens in a family, the closest male relative had the responsibility to act on behalf of the relative who was in trouble, who was in danger, or who needed vindication. 
And Naomi fit this criteria. Naomi had some land that she inherited from her late husband, but she didn't have any workers to work the land. She didn't have any money. She couldn't pay anyone, so she had to sell the land back, right? And so the idea is I'm going to sell the land to someone who's in my clan so that it doesn't leave our clan, right? So that's where this idea of kinsman redeemer is. So Boaz was in line to be kinsman redeemer, but there was someone in front of him. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the president has a line of succession. Boaz wasn't next in line. There was someone else in line. And so he tells the man, he says, you know what? There's a field that Naomi is selling. Will you buy it? And so the man responds. He says, I will buy the field. And I want you to put yourself in the perspective of the original readers of the story. Imagine you're listening to the story and you just heard three chapters of this growing romance between Boaz and Ruth, right? And and God's working all these things out. And all of a sudden, this man says, I'll redeem the field. Feels like a dagger in the heart, right? This is, this is Ruth getting with the wrong guy in the movie, right? That's what's happening here. And I can imagine Boaz is in this story because this is a real guy. This is a real story. Put yourself in this story. Boaz has his heart set on redeeming Ruth, becoming her kinsman redeemer and marrying her as a husband. And he goes to this guy and he puts it all up on the line. And he says, hey, you're first in line. Will you do it? And the guy says, yeah, I'll buy the field. <laughs> And then imagine there's a crowd forming at this point because they're at the front of the gate. Imagine Naomi and Ruth are in the crowd and they're listening on, right? And they hear this man say, I'll take the field. And you can imagine Ruth's heart drops a little bit. There's so much drama in this story. But then Boaz steps up and he reminds the man of something. He says, on the day that you buy this field, you you also get Ruth the Moabite, to take care of her and to continue on her family line. Now the guy hears that and he starts backtracking real quick. He hears that, he's like, oh, well, I got to protect my own inheritance. I'm sorry, you can redeem the field and you can have Ruth. I I don't want to have her. And so it, it opens up this idea that God is working things out in the life of Ruth and in the life of Boaz. Boaz reminds him of his responsibility to take care of Ruth, and the man seems to have a change of heart. And this story is really important, and Boaz is really important because in this story, Boaz represents God to us, right? When you look at the terminology used in this story, this idea of redemption, you may even, if you've read on in the verses past verse 6, it says that that Boaz was going to buy Ruth. And we hear that, we're like, that's really strange language. Why would he say that? But this language, this terminology is what God uses when he says he's going to redeem his people out of Exodus and out of, excuse me, out of Egypt and out of Babylon and Assyria. So Ruth is a story that shows us that God is working out our redemption together. This little slice of life story is meant to remind us that God is always working for our redemption. And here's the problem. It's so much easier for us to see God working out redemption in other people's life than in your own life, right? You look at other people's life and you look at the good things happening in their, their life. You're like, man, I'm a little jealous of what God is doing in that person's life, right? But in your own life, all you focus on are the problems or the sin, is your checkered past, all your failures, all these things. But you fail to see so often how God is moving in your life. So we must see this story as a call for us to recognize that even though we don't know exactly what happens at the end of our story— God is always working toward redemption 
and we can know that he will work things out for us. We are Ruth in the story. But I also want us to look at something else. I want us to look at Boaz. This man is being held up as an example to us in the faith. How is Boaz different from this other kinsman redeemer? How is he different from Mr. So-and-so? I think what makes Boaz different is that Boaz is a person who's proactive, he's honest, and he champions redemption. Let's compare these two guys. I'm going to call him Boaz and the other dude, Mr. So-and-so. I love that name. He's Mr. So-and-so. Boaz is proactive. Boaz is proactive. He wastes no time in going to the city gate and taking care of the matter. He does the right things in the right way. He wastes no time in carrying out what he believes is God's will for his life. What about Mr. So-and-so? Mr. So-and-so has to get dragged into this situation. But I'm sure he knew Naomi had come back from a foreign land. It wasn't that big of a town, right? He knew that she was back. And he probably knew of his responsibility to take care of her and to take care of Ruth. But he has to get dragged into the situation. Boaz is proactive. And it's just a reminder to me that when we know what God wants us to do, we're called to obey without delay. We're called to obey as soon as we know what God wants to do. And sometimes even before, we're called to move and to stretch and to go forward into the good things of life, knowing that God will ultimately steer us and guide us. It's so much easier to move a steering, uh, excuse me, steer a moving ship. So we're called to be people who are proactive in, in obeying the Lord. Number two, Boaz is honest. Boaz does things in the light of day. He grabs the other guy. He knows it's the right thing to do. He grabs the 10 elders of the city and gathers them together. He gathers a crowd. He does everything the right way. He's an honest man. Whereas the other kinsman redeemer, he says, yeah, I'll take the field. But then when responsibility starts getting put on him, he's all backtracking. He don't want to be a part of that at all. And yet Boaz gives us a model of honesty. He's doing things in front of other people. He's not gossiping in the back room about something that he doesn't like. He's up front. He's honest. He's pursuing good things for himself and for the people around him. Number three, Boaz models redemption for unlikely people. Think about Ruth. Think about Ruth in this context. Ruth has a lot of strikes against her. She's a Moabite, right? Foreigner. Has no Israeli blood in her, really. Moab and Israel were at war for most of their history. And so I can see how this other guy might think of her as baggage. Secondly, she's a widow. She's got baggage in her life. She's had tragedy in her life. She's probably not the first in line for someone to think, this is someone that I want to marry. And then number three, she's poor, She's got nothing to offer to Boaz. She's got nothing to her name. Boaz doesn't care about that. Boaz sees her as someone of value. Boaz sees her as someone who God is calling into his family and into his redemption. Think about Mr. So-and-so. When the offer of a field, with an offer of increasing his wealth came up in front of him, he's like, yeah, I'll take that. But when the responsibility of taking care of Ruth came up, he begins to backtrack. 
right? He may have thought that uh, marrying her would ruin his reputation as a good Israelite man because she was a Moabite. Maybe she was undesirable because she was a widow. Maybe he thought that she would pollute his family line because she wasn't really truly an Israelite. Spoiler alert, later on in the story, as John's going to preach next week, King David comes from her line, so this dude got it way wrong. Think about it. This man sees her as baggage. But Boaz, by his character, sees her as someone who God loves and as God is calling into redemption. So what do we do with that? How do we obey that this week? I think we got two things this morning. Number one, trusting God doesn't mean sitting on your hands. Trusting God doesn't mean sitting on your hands. This notion that waiting on the Lord entails that we just pray and wait and do nothing is not very biblical. In fact, we get this idea of waiting on the Lord almost just so wrong. Biblically, waiting on the Lord is not like waiting in the doctor's office. That's what we think. We're waiting in the doctor's office for God to call our name, for God to do something in our life. But in actuality, waiting on the Lord in the Bible is more like a waiter waiting on tables. A waiter who's waiting on tables takes orders and he's always on the move. He's always moving in the direction that he needs to go. And that's what we are called to do as people of faith. Boaz didn't need a sign from God to know that pursuing Ruth was the right thing to do. He knew it was right. He knew it was honorable. He knew that she was an honorable woman, a woman of character. And so he went after her. He went after the situation. And so this author and Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, these people in the story, yes, they have faith in God. But their faith motivated them to press on into the things that he would have for them. So that's number one. Number two, pursuing what God wants bears fruit in our lives and it leaves a legacy. This is the funny thing that I think about when I think about when we move away from what God wants in our life. When you're moving away from what God wants in your life and you're sinning, not only are you working against you, But God's working against you, right? Because he's trying to steer you back into his good plan for your life. But whenever you and I are aligning our life with what God wants for our life, we double our output. I'm a productivity guy and I love being very efficient with my time. When I'm pursuing what God wants for my life, not only am I working for me, but God's working for me as well. He triples, quadruples, multiplies by 10,000 all my effort. It's like company matching. We must pursue what God wants for our life. The closer redeemer, he wasn't a bad guy, but he wasn't about redemption. He wasn't about bringing other people into the family of God. And that's the reason he's called Mr. So-and-so. His name is irrelevant in redemptive history. Boaz gets a name. Boaz is held up as this man of honor and this man who's a part of what God is doing. But this other guy who thought about himself as a footnote, he's forgotten, he's unnamed in the story. But Boaz saw this bigger picture of what God was doing and he was open to that. He wanted to obey what was happening. I think Jesus is another good example of someone who totally aligned his life with the mission of God. Think about Jesus. When he started his earthly ministry, his family thought he was crazy 
True story. They thought he was crazy. They physically tried to take him out of the crowds as he was teaching. You know, anyone have their family think you're crazy for being a follower of Jesus? Sometimes I've felt like that. But through his actions and through his words and through his life, he won his family over to God. He influenced 12 guys to go from aimless fishermen to disciple makers. He lived his life and ultimately laid his life down in order to bring other people into the fold of God. And that's what God calls us to be. People who help other people find their redemption. We will never bear fruit. We will never leave a legacy if we are not about redemption. Because just like every story in the Bible is about redemption, our story is about redemption, and we're called to bring that into the lives of other people. So that's what God wants us to do this morning. But God also wants us as a church to be about redemption. And as I look at the characters in this story, I know I'm not God. I'm not that character in the story. And between Boaz and Mr. So-and-so, I definitely want to be Boaz. I don't want to be Mr. So-and-so. So how do I model my life and how do we model our church after the heartbeat of Boaz? We must be about redemption. And redemption is about pursuing someone else's new day. This morning, it's amazing sort of coincidence of God that we're voting on the New Day vision on the day that I preach on this text. And I think it's just amazing as we think about the heart of Boaz, uh, how we're supposed to be called to be people and called to be a church that aligns ourselves with the heartbeat of God. This morning, as we vote on this proposal, we are trying to position our church to be people who are beckoning the masses into the family of God. This is what we want to be about as a church, and this is what we want to be about in our individual lives. As I think about the heart of Boaz, I cannot help but think about his heart for the outsider. And I think that Ruth perfectly parallels uh, the outsiders in our church. Look at some of these similarities. She doesn't fit our religious criteria, but Boaz blesses her anyway. Her background in history would have been frowned upon by the religious people of her day, But Boaz doesn't care. He blesses her anyway. Ruth probably knew next to nothing about the Bible that she had, but she was seeking God nonetheless. And Boaz invited her to know more about God's redemption. And in all this, Boaz had genuine love for Ruth, and not just for his own clan or for his own family, but he wanted her to be a part of that. Mr. So-and-so didn't want anything to do with Ruth. He only wanted to protect his inheritance and his customs. Like Boaz, I think the New Day vision is about aligning ourselves with the heartbeat of God and for who he's about. As we draw to a close this morning, I want to zero in on a few final truths that we can take with us this morning. Number one, we are all Ruth in the story. And like Ruth, we are called to be people who are trusting God even when he has not worked everything out in our life. We know that God is working for redemption And we're called to see where he's working, even when it's not miraculous, even when it's not what we would expect. This morning, I wonder, can you see the subtle places where God is moving and orchestrating your life? Or are you looking for a miraculous plague to happen on the things that are hurting you? Are you looking for something miraculous in your life? Or or are you content but the subtle things that God does to move us toward where he wants us to go. 
Are you trained at seeing these things? Number two, we still have to do the work. We're called to be people who are proactive, who don't delay in our obedience, but who move forward, trusting that God will steer us along the way. Maybe for you this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. And that means for you trusting in the Lord today, not waiting for some future moment or for some sign, but to use what God's already given you. Maybe you've got something going on in your marriage or finances or some sin in your personal life, and it's good to pray about it, but it's also good to move forward in obedience, to be proactive in addressing these things in your life and seeking help, seeking the help that God provides us through natural means. We're called to be people of integrity, who speak what we mean. And we're called to be people who champion redemption, people who look beyond themselves into the lives of others. We must be people who welcome all the new people who mess up our traditions and mess up the way that we've always done things. You know what one of Jesus' sharpest rebukes was to the Pharisees? He said they shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and would not let them enter. We must not be like that. We must be people who recognize that God is not calling religious people to his church. And God is not calling people who have the perfect background into his church. God is calling foreigners and outsiders to his church. God's calling the guy who has no idea about anything in the Bible, but all he knows is that the church is good and that God is good, and he wants to learn about that. This is God's calling in the church. God is calling the woman with the checkered past into his church. And God is calling us to step aside and to even hold the doors wide open for those people as they pass us and enter into the kingdom of God. This is what we are called to be about. This is what we want to be about, but we need the Lord's strength and his power to make us into those people. So at this time, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. And I just want to, just a moment of searching in our hearts. As we think about what we're about, what's important to us, Will we be like Boaz, a man who sees Ruth and sees value in who she is, calls her into the kingdom of God, overlooks her faults, overlooks her past, and helps disciple her in the ways of the Lord? Will we be these people? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for the redemption that we have been shown, the kindness that we have been shown by your Son. All of us, Lord, were outsiders at one point. All of us were people outside of your family, and you invited us in gladly. So I pray, Lord, that you might allow us to be people who have open eyes and open hearts to be redeeming others in our life, that family member who we think would never come to believe in Jesus, would never come to church, maybe not give up on them. Maybe welcome new people in our church, Lord, as they enter into our midst, 
as we recognize the family of God is always growing and it's never shrinking. We love you and we ask that you would empower us to be these kind of people, these Boaz type people. It's in the name of the Father, 